Good morning, everyone. song raises the dead. All right. Uh, let me hang up the guitar. Good morning. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians 2.1. I'll be right back with you. Let me hang up this guitar.
All right, I'm back, Jack. And if you haven't turned there already, go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And we're continuing our study of uh, Ephesians. And uh, we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16, the B part, where, uh, uh, which teaches us that Jesus Christ put to death the hostility between Jewish and Gentile Christians and God. And this will constitute our 118th hour in this book. And uh, so this will wrap up our study of verse 16, and then we'll look at verse 17 on Saturday, move on to verse 18 next week. So uh, without further ado, let's take a moment of silent prayer. We take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves, determine if we're in fellowship with God, because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. We maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit and Colossians 3.16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything bothering you, disturbing or distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says. Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day that you've given to us, another day to study your word. We thank you, Father, for the grace, the faith, the salvation, your work on our behalf in eternity past, the personal work of your Son of the cross, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives from regeneration to resurrection. We just thank you, Father, for uh, the study in Ephesians, and we pray today that you'll help us in this study, that the Spirit would work mightily and powerfully through myself and those in the audience, that whether they're live or through the recordings. I just pray, Father, that you'd help each person in the audience that is a child of God to understand, learn, and apply what they're being taught by the means of the Holy Spirit's power. I also pray if there's any unsaved in the audience that they might, people are not Christians yet, that are curious or they're going through a crisis or whatnot, looking for answers, hope. I just uh, thank you for them and I pray, Father, the Spirit will help them and the audience to understand the gospel so that they can make a decision to either accept or reject your son, Jesus Christ, as Savior. We know that you desire all people to be saved and come to be safe from your wrath and experience, have, an experience, have an experiential knowledge of yourself and your Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. I also pray, Father, that you'd empower me to deliver the message with accuracy and clarity, reverence and respect and power, so that your people could receive the necessary spiritual nourishment. Your word does say, man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds out of your mouth. So I pray that uh, everyone would get the necessary spiritual nourishment, and also that all of us as individuals would be spoken to in our own individual walk with you, and also all of us as a corporate unit. I also pray for the, the uh, technology. I thank you for the technology. People taking advantage of it, whether they're live or through the recordings. I pray, Father, you help. Uh, there be no problems with the recordings, the video and the audio, and upload these things to our various websites, podcasts, and media platforms that you've given to us. Uh, I pray you use them mightily, protect them from the evil one, and uh, continue to do so. And also, I pray for the people who might be live on the uh, YouTube uh, streaming video live broadcast. I thank you for them, and I pray, Father, everything would function properly with that. And I thank you for the service that YouTube provides. So we pray for this service in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. If you haven't turned there already, please go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As you can see on the board, we're going to uh, 
finish off verse 16. The, we'll look at the result clause in this verse. We looked at the Hener exegetical clause in the, uh, on Tuesday. And today we'll be looking at the result clause that follows it, which teaches us that Jesus Christ put to death the hostility between Jewish and Gentile Christians. So without further ado, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And I'll, as I've been doing, I'll read the entire chapter in the, in the Net Bible. And, uh, and also I'll read it in my translation. And then before we look at verse 16 in detail and wrap up our study of that verse today. So it says in Ephesians 2, 1, And although you were dead in your transgressions and sins, and which you formerly lived according to the world's, this world's present path, according to the ruler of the kingdom of the year, the ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience, among whom all of us also formerly lived out our lives in the cravings of our flesh, and indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you were saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you were saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared beforehand so we may do them. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision that is performed on the body by human hands, that you are at that time without the Messiah, alienated from the citizenship of Israel and the strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, the one who made both groups into one, and who destroyed the middle wall of petition, the hostility, when he nullified in his flesh the law of commandments and decrees. He did this to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace, and to reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by which the hostility has been killed. And he came and he preached to you, peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near, so that through him we have both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you're no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, because you've been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So we see here, uh, before we look at my translation of, of chapter 2, uh, we see that uh, Paul is, uh, this particular um, section, this particular chapter, uh, we see that uh, after his first intercessory prayer at the end of chapter 1, uh, Paul, uh, which, where he gives thanks to the fact that the people he's writing to are uh, justified through faith in Christ and in union with Christ. And so he intercedes in prayer with them, uh, for them, as, as he says to the Father, and he relates that to them to give them encouragement and to teach them how to pray. And uh, then we see chapter 2, he talks about, at the first three verses, as we saw, uh, their pre-conversion, pre-justification state where they were enslaved to sin and Satan in his cosmic system. But the grace of God, the love of God, uh, by appropriating the, the love of God and the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, uh, these believers, these Gentile believers, uh, were, uh, were saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so now uh, that was on the basis of the merits of the object of their faith, Jesus Christ, they were saved. And that simultaneously through the baptism of the Spirit, they were identified with Christ in His resurrection and session at the right hand of the Father. And, uh, and then we see that he saved them. Uh, they were not saved on the basis of works, but for good, to perform good works. And so 
Uh, then we get into verse 11 to 22, where he talks about the, that these Gentile Christians who he's writing to, he's telling them that they're part of the new humanity uh, with Jewish, uh, the Jewish remnant of believers in the church today. And uh, so they form the new humanity. That's very important. Uh, it's uh, telling us uh, that we're part, us, the church is a part of what's coming in the future where Christ is going to reign over this earth for a thousand years, where the bride of Christ, Paul says in Ephesians 5, where the new humanity, along with Jesus Christ, we're going to dispossess Satan and the fallen angels at the second advent, and uh, we will ex rule over this earth for a thousand years. And so, right, uh, we saw that Adam and Eve were created to rule over the works of God's hands, God's hand, and uh, uh, that's in uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And then as the writer of Hebrews says, which I believe is Paul in chapter 2, he says, we don't see all things under the the, uh, the uh, authority of mankind. And the reason why that is is because Satan is the god of this world, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. John says in 1 John 5.19 that the whole world is under his power. And, and that's including the nations. And in fact, he offered uh, the kingdoms of this world to Jesus Christ in his temptation. And Jesus, of course, emphatically rebuked him with the word of God. But that wouldn't have been a legitimate temptation if he didn't have such authority. And of course, he deceives the entire world and to, uh, to uh, worship him rather than God. And so we see that uh, the, cru the crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session of Jesus Christ during his first advent, uh, that was the first step in restoring mankind over the works of his hands. In fact, when he sat down at the right hand of the Father, fulfillment of Daniel 7, 13 and 14, the Son of Man passage, and he always used that title of himself more than any other title during his first advent. Uh, when that took place, he received the kingdom, he received the title deed to planet earth. That title deed is made reference to uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 5. And he breaks the seventh seal. Uh, he breaks the, 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 the seventh seal scroll and that uh, uh, releases the, the wrath of the Lamb and the wrath of the Father with the seventh seal trumpet and bold judgments that will take place during the, tri the three and a half, last three and a half years of the 70th week of Daniel, which ends with the second advent of Christ. And so... Uh, each time at the, during the baptism of the Spirit when it first took place on the day of Pentecost in June of 33 in, in, uh, in the city of Jerusalem as recorded in Acts chapter 2 Jewish believers in Jesus uh, were placed in union with Jesus Christ that through, the, 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 through appropriating the blessings of the new covenant through faith in Jesus they received the gift of the Spirit and also the forgiveness of sins which is part of the uh, stipulations in the new covenant and we see that uh, they received the, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, which placed them in union with Christ and, uh, and identified them with Christ in His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session of the right hand of the Father. This identification with Christ and those events in His life are spoken by Paul, by Paul all throughout his writings. Colossians 3 and 2. Rome, uh, uh, Romans talks about it extensively. Romans 6, 7, and 8. And we see, uh, we see it in Ephesians chapter 2 as well. And so... Uh, this is in Colossians chapter 3, as I said before. So you have, you have this uh, union identification with Christ. And so Jewish believers now are part of the members of the body of Christ and uh, the future bride of Christ. And then Gentile believers on the day of, uh, on, according, as recorded in Acts chapter 10, and Cornelius and his family, after receiving the gospel from Peter, uh, they uh, believed in Jesus and they received the Holy Spirit at the moment of uh, justification, just like the Jewish believers did, and they too were placed in union with Christ and identified with Him, and again, in His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session of the right hand of the Father. So therefore, us Gentile believers, with the Jewish believing remnant in the church, are part of the new humanity, 
that's going to reign with Christ over this earth during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So this is a fantastic thing that has happened to us Gentiles who were not in a covenant relationship with God. We were far away, as Paul says, and the Jews were near. Why were they near? Because they received uh, the covenants. They were, they, they, they were the, uh, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, remember, the scriptures were given to them. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 3. They were given the law in written form. The Gentiles were not. That's clear from the book of Exodus. And Paul says this in Romans 9, 4, and 5. It was never given to the church. And then we see that the law, not only that, but the tabernacle worship and also the unconditional promises of the uh, unconditional, foreign unconditional covenants to Israel, the Abrahamic, uh, Palestinian, Davidic, and New Covenant, the Palestinian covenant, you could call it the land grant, which is found in the Abrahamic covenant. All those, those covenants were given to the Jews and the Jewish believers in the, the church. They appropriated the blessings of those covenants, those unconditional promises through faith in Jesus Christ. And then the Jews did, uh, the Jew, uh, Gentile believers did at the moment of their justification, like you and I. And so, as Paul says in Romans 11, 16 and 17, I should say, you could say uh, chapter 11, verses 14 through uh, 18, that uh, we were in all, what the Gentiles were wild olive branch, and we were engrafted in contrary to nature, emphasizing the supernatural nature of us Gentiles being united to Jewish believers who are denoted by the, the, uh, the, uh, the olive tree. And the branches on the olive tree are Jewish believers that are born again and saved. The ones off the tree are unsaved. And so you and I, Gentile believers, are, are actually in union also not only with Jesus Christ, but this Jewish remnant in the church. So we're partakers of the blessings of the Abrahamic, Palestinian, Palestinian, Davidic, and New Covenants. And that's why we got the gift of the Spirit, the forgiveness of sins. That's why we're going to inherit the earth. Okay? And so this is very, very important. You and I need to know who we are in Christ. As I said many times in the past, uh, it's very sad when Christians... Uh, I've known several people, Christians, and uh, three within about a year of each other committed suicide. They were really dear to me. And uh, sadly, uh, it, they failed to appropriate by faith their union identification with Christ, and they didn't define themselves as to, they, they didn't define themselves according to their union identification with Christ, but with other things. Uh, so in other words, if you're, for instance, when you, you know, you hear about those people when they lose everything in the, in the stock market crash in, in 1929 in this country, uh, that many men jumped out of windows. And the reason why that is is because now they had nothing, so they didn't know who they were or what they were going to do. And that's because they defined themselves by the money or the success that they had in stock market and how, how big their bank account was. So when you do that, you're wide open. See, uh, you're not only committing idolatry, but you're wide open for deception from the enemy. And that's why people commit suicide that are Christians because they're defining themselves not because of their, by means of their union identification with Christ. You're somebody because Christ died for you. And you're somebody because you're his bride. You're members of his body. He cares for you. You're inextricably tied to him. He's the vine. We're the branches. He's the chief cornerstone. We're the corners of the stones of the building. You know, we're part of this temple that God's building with the church. And Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. And so we need to understand that and look at ourselves as we go through trials and tribulations in life and we're dealing with problems with ourselves, conflict with sin, having struggles with sin like we all do. Look at who you are in Christ. Okay, you are somebody. You have a God has a plan for you, which is to be, grow up to become like Jesus Christ. And that starts with learning God's word, putting it into practice. Your faith grows. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. 
So you need to devote yourself to the study of the scriptures, your sanctified time along with God in prayer, prayerful study of the word of God, and also your corporate worship with other believers. You're not to forsake the assembling of yourselves as the habit of some. And if you're a believer that doesn't have a body of believers you can gather with in your area, well, here you're more than welcome to watch these broadcasts or listen to them. And uh, so that would fill the void, but it doesn't replace it. So um, I'm doing this, but I'm also the, I have a group here face-to-face down here in Huntsville, Alabama, where I, at Doctrine of Bible Church, we're half a mile down the road. And uh, so I see I need for that, and God opened up the door uh, to uh, be a partake of, uh, uh, be the pastor of this ministry. And so when I met with other believers in Massachusetts, when I didn't have a congregation in front of me, uh, I, I went to Jim, Pastor Jim Ricard's uh, church and had fellowship there, listened to the word of God there and joined with them in prayer. So very important. And so you are somebody because who you are in Christ and you're not, God doesn't look at us according to our sins and transgressions, but he looks at us as crucified, died, buried, raised and seed with Christ at his right hand. Okay, that's incredible. That's incredible. That's called, that's called the grace of God, people, which is grace of God is God's policy toward us sinners uh, where he bestows upon us unmerited blessings. We don't earn these blessings or not, temporal and spiritual. And he, he, we, we receive them because of our faith in Christ, the justification and our union identification with him. Uh, he is going to inherit the earth. His earth is his. And so we are too because we're his bride. We're members of his body. You get that? That's incredible. Think about that. There's why Paul says rejoice throughout the book of Philippians. That's why we're supposed to give thanks in all things. Even our adversities are used by God where Satan means for evil, God means for good. Look at the story of Joseph. And so uh, when we go through trials and tribulations, they can't defeat us. Uh, we, can only, uh, we, we are overwhelmingly conquerors. We're more than conquerors, Paul says in Romans 8. And nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus because of our union identification with him. Nothing can separate us from, from God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you and I, are, uh, we need to, to, be, to appropriate these things, think, think these things through in our daily lives, meditate upon these things prayerfully for personal application. And so, so that we might grow to spiritual maturity and become like Jesus Christ and fulfill the Father's plan and get rewards on top of the resurrection body at the Bama seat. And the overcomers, Paul, John says in Revelation 2 and 3, will have positions of government and uh, positions in Christ's millennial government. All, all, all the churches in the kingdom, but only those who overcome, persevere through their trials and tribulations and don't quit on the plan of God uh, and execute the plan and become like Jesus Christ. And uh, they will receive uh, as rewards uh, authority over the certain nations and cities. Uh, we see that in the book of Revelation, again, Revelation 2 and 3. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 in my translation. It says, now correspondingly, even though, even each and every one of you, as a corporate unit, were spiritually dead ones because of your transgressions. In other words, because of your sins. Each and every one of you formerly lived by means of these in agreement with the standard of the unregenerate people of this age, which is the production of the cosmic world system, in agreement with the standard of the sovereign ruler, Satan, namely the sovereign governmental authority ruling over the evil spirits residing in the Earth's atmosphere, specifically the spirit who is presently working in the lives of those members of the human race who are characterized by disobedience the unregenerate, among whom each and every one of us in the church, Jew and Gentile, also formerly for our own selfish benefit, prior to our justification, conducted our lives by means of those lusts which are produced by our flesh, our sin nature, which is located in the genetic structure of our human bodies, specifically by indulging those inclinations which are produced by our flesh. In other words, those impulses which are the product of our flesh. Consequently, 
Each and every one of us caused ourselves to be children who are objects of wrath because of our natural condition from physical birth, the imputation of Adam's sin at physical birth, just as the rest in unregenerate humanity correspondingly caused themselves to be children who are objects of wrath because of their natural condition from physical birth. But because God is rich with regards to mercy, because the exercise of his great love with which he loved each and every one of us, even though each and every one of us as a corporate unit was spiritually dead ones because of our transgressions, he caused each and every one of us to be made alive together with the one and only Christ. Each and every one of you as a corporate unit is saved because of grace. Specifically, he caused each and every one of us as a corporate unit to be raised with him. Correspondingly, he caused each and every one of us as a corporate unit to be seated in the heavenlies because of our faith in and union identification with Christ Jesus. He did this so that he could display for his own glory during the ages which are certain to come, the incomparable wealth, which is the product of his grace, because of kindness, for the benefit of each and every one of us, because of our faith in and union identification with Christ Jesus. Each and every one of you as a corporate unit are saved because of grace by means of faith. In other words, this salvation never originated from any one of you as a source. It never it originated as the gift from God. It never originated from meritorious actions as a source, so that a person cannot for their own benefit enter into the state of boasting. For each and every one of us in the Christian community, both Jew and Gentile believers, are his creative workmanship. For each and every one of us have been created by means of our faith in and union identification with Christ Jesus in order to produce actions which are divine good. These God prepared in advance so that each of us would conduct our lives by means of them. Therefore, each and every one of you as a corporate unit must continue to make it your habit of remembering that formerly each of you who belong to the Gentile race, with respect to the human body, specifically those who received the designation uncircumcision, by those who received the designation circumcision, with respect to the human body performed by human hands, each one of you used to be characterized as without a relationship with Christ. Each one of you used to be alienated from the nation of Israel's citizenship. Specifically, each one of you used to be strangers to the most important promise, the Messianic promise, which is the product of the covenants. Each of you used to not possess a confident expectation of blessing. Consequently, each of you used to be, prior to your justification, of course, without a relationship, used to be without a relationship with God in the sphere of the cosmic world system. However, verse 13, however, because of your faith in and union identification with Jesus Christ, each one of you, as a corporate unit, who formerly were far away, have been now brought near by means of the blood belonging to this same Christ. For he himself personifies our peace, namely by causing both groups to be one, specifically by destroying the wall which served as, a, as the barrier, that is, that which caused the hostility, and that's, of course, between the two races and the two races with God. In other words, by nullifying, by means of his human nature, the law composed of the commandments consisting of a written code of laws, the Mosaic law, in order that he might cause the two to be created into one new humanity. And how did he do this? What was the means? By means of faith in himself at justification and union identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit. And again, as I've been pointing out, that prepositional phrase there, uh, when you see en auto or en, 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 uh, en Christo Yesu or en, uh, in himself, stuff like that, those prepositional phrases in the first two chapters, a lot of times, not all the time, but pretty much all the time, uh, as we've been pointing out, it's, it has the figure of autonomy with the person of Christ is actually put for faith in him at justification and union identification with him. So it was by means of our faith in Christ, the justification and union identification with him through the baptism of the Spirit, 
at our justification is the reason why we became part of the new humanity. Thus, it says, he caused peace to be established between the two and the two with God. In other words, in order that he would reconcile both groups into one body to God through this, through his cross. Consequently, he, Christ, put to death the hostility, the Mosaic law, between the two races and the two races with God, which was caused by the law. He did this, how? By means of faith in himself at justification and union identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. Correspondingly, he as a result came proclaiming peace for the benefit of each and every one of you, namely those who were far off, likewise peace to those who were near. Consequently, through the personal intermediate agency of himself, each and every one of us as a corporate unit in the Christian community, namely both groups, Jew and Gentile, are experiencing access by means of the omnipotence of the one spirit to the presence of the Father. That's incredible. That's beautiful. Don't ever take that for granted. That's awesome. That's the grace of God again. And the whole thing is obviously, right? Verse 19, Indeed, therefore, each and every one of you as a corporate unit are no longer foreigners to the covenants of promise that is foreign citizens, but rather each and every one of you as a corporate unit are fellow citizens with the saints that is members of God's household. Then he says in verses 20, 21 and 22, because each and every one of you as a corporate unit have been built upon the foundation, which is the communication of the gospel to each one of you by the apostles as well as the prophets. Simultaneously, he himself, namely Christ Jesus, is the cornerstone on the basis of its being continually fitted inextricably together by means of justification by faith and union identification with him. The whole building is growing into a holy temple by appropriating by faith union identification with the Lord. In other words, by appropriating by faith your union identification with him, all of you without exception are being built together into God's dwelling place by means of the omnipotence of the Spirit. So as he said before the opening prayer, we're going to be looking at the B part, the result clause of Ephesians 2.16, where it teaches us that Jesus Christ put to death the hostility between Jewish and Gentile uh, Christians and God. Now, as we pointed out in our last class, Ephesians 2.16 in the original text is, uh, is, is composed of the following. And again, for those who might be new to the ministry popping in for the first time, um, we go back to the, we, 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 have our, we have certain basic hermeneutical principles that we follow. We study uh, the Bible in its original languages. We study it in its historical context. We compare scripture with scripture. We don't build a doctrine or a teaching out of one verse like the cults do in false teachers. Uh, so we go back to the original languages. We compare scripture with scripture. We pay attention to the literary context, what type of literature we're, we're, we're studying. And uh, this is very, very important. Uh, because uh, we want to interpret the scriptures. It was written by uh, men to be understood by human beings under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So if you're a believer, you can understand scripture. And uh, a lot of times when you, uh, what you need to do as a believer is have academic discipline and uh, learn to uh, take in solid food. Remember, Paul condemns the Hebrew Christians that he wrote to in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 5, he was upset with them. He said, by now you should be teachers with one another. Instead, I have to give you milk rather than solid food. What is milk? It means teaching that's not in-depth. Uh, solid food is in-depth teaching. So too, much, too many people in the Christian community are uh, still babies because they're not getting solid food. Imagine if you gave your child just milk and he grow, he'd never grow much, would he? He'd be weak and anemic. <laughs> you know, you know, solid food. Well, that's what's happening in the Christian community with pastors not doing their job and not feeding the congregation the word of God. And there are those who do do the job, but the Christians don't want to have the solid food because they want to be entertained. And the majority of Christians in America today 
are want to be entertained. And I know that. Just go to the churches that do that dog and pony show. And go to the churches that are seriously teaching the Word of God and doing an expository fashion, going book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, going alternate between Old Testament and New Testament, and do the various doctrines of the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith. That's our job, to teach the full counsel of God, and there are pastors that are not doing it, and there are pastors that are doing it, but their people are rejecting the Word of God. Well, they'll be held accountable for their rejection of it. You remain faithful if you're a pastor that is doing that and being faithful, but has a congregation that doesn't appreciate the Word of God. And do your job as under the Lord. So this is a very important. So when I go through these ver- these, this book, I'm going through it systematically, in verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, book by book, okay, in the Bible. But today, we're going to look at Ephesians 2.16, wrap up our study of it. This will be our second and final hour in the verse. And so we saw verse 16 is composed, uh, first of all, an epexegetical hena purpose clause, we call it in Greek grammar. And that is, in the original Greek text, this is the Greek text, Nestle Elan, 28th edition. And this is the, uh, right here, is the transliteration, we call it. So the, in the Greek text of Ephesians 2.16, this epexegetical, epexegetical, which means explanatory, hena purpose clause is this. It's kai, apokatalaxe, tus, amphiterus, and henai somati to feo dia to staru, which I translate, in other words, that he would reconcile, uh, in order that he would reconcile both groups into one body to God through his cross. The Net Bible, they translate this particular uh, epexegetical hena purpose clause into reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. Then following it is the result participle clause, which we're going to be noting uh, for the uh, for the rest of the class today, it is composed of in the Greek text apoktenos, tain, ekthron, and autou, which is translated consequently. He put to death the hostility by means of his faith in himself at justification, and union identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. The Net Bible they translated by which the hostility has been killed. Now maybe I want to put point this out because there's people coming in all the time through the websites and the YouTube and whatnot that have been dropping in. You see my translation is more wordy. Well, that's because it's more interpretive. All translation, anybody who's been in translations for anything, they know that there's interpretation involved. Now, I can be more interpretive and more wordy because I'm your, your teacher, okay? If you look at the, the translation, the modern translations, which are the product of great scholarship, you are truly blessed in America being having an English Bible and you have a plethora of great Bibles. And so uh, I've been studying the original languages for years since I back since my uh, mid 20s. I'm 62 now. And so the, the, uh, these translations are phenomenal. Now, that that Bible is a great translation. They translate this verse great. But I'm bringing out certain things. Like for instance, uh, as I met it when I read our translation, it, you know, that this expression by means of faith in himself at justification and union identification with himself through the baptism of the spirit of justification. The Net Bible simply translates that as uh, where is it, verse 16? Uh, by which the hostility has been killed. Okay. And uh, so uh, by which, okay, that so that I uh, that prepositional phrase. I'm um, interpreting it as containing the figure of metonymy. And basically it's shorthand. In other words, he's saying, by means of your union identification with Christ and the baptism of the Spirit at your justification, where you're identified with Christ, it's by means of that the hostility has been killed. You appropriated the work of Christ in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at, his right, at the Father's right hand when you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior at justification, simultaneously through the baptism of the Spirit, 
you were placed in union with Christ and identified with him in those events in Jesus' life. So that's what I'm bringing out. So I'm explaining my translation to you. And so we see that the epexogenical Hena purpose clause that we noted on Tuesday, it explains the previous assertions which are found in the contents of verses 14 and 15. And specifically, it explains the previous Hena purpose clause in verse 15. Now, the participial result clause, which completes the verse, presents the result of Jesus Christ reconciling both Jewish and Gentile Christian communities to God through the, the Lord's finished work on the cross. Thus, this would express the idea that Jesus Christ reconciled both communities to each other and to God through his finished work on the cross with the result that, quote-unquote, the hostility caused by the Mosaic law was put to death by means of his son's, Jesus Christ, substitutionary spiritual and physical deaths on the cross. And so as was the case in Ephesians 2.14, the noun ekthra translated hostility in your Bibles. It's talking about the hostility between the two races and the two races with God, which was caused by the Mosaic law. So here, as in verse 14, and here in verse 16, as was the case in verse 14, this noun ekthra is used to describe the Mosaic law and it pertains to the state of enmity with someone. So here, it speaks of the state of enmity or hostility that which existed between the Jews and Gentiles in relation to God. So we have a double reconciliation here that's taught in verses 11 through 22. There's the reconciliation between the Jews and the Gentiles, and there's also the reconciliation of the Jews and Gentiles with God. And those who studied the doctrine of reconciliation with me when I was in Massachusetts, uh, before we did the book of Jude, I did re reconciliation, propitiation, redemption, the finished work of Christ on the cross. So the human race was reconciled to God through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. When he was abandoned by the Father and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was suffering the wrath of God in the place of every person in human history, past, present, and future, unlimited atonement. And he was suffering the wrath of God in the place of us so that we wouldn't suffer the wrath of God in the lake of fire forever. He's our substitute. He also suffered the wrath of God through the torture of the crucifixion and the scourgings and then physical death. And so he suffered that so that we wouldn't suffer it forever in the lake of fire. And so we see that the law, uh, which was uh, condemning us, uh, was nullified. Uh, Christ fulfilled the law perfectly, and uh, where he demanded perfect obedience, God did, if you're going to have a relationship or a fellowship with him, through keeping the law, well, no one could do that. And thus Jesus could do it, because he's the Son of God. And also, he, he suffered the consequences for us failing to keep the law. And so therefore, uh, we see that uh, that hostility that we had uh, with God and being spiritually dead and, and, uh, and enslaved to sin and Satan, that hostility that was caused by the law that condemned us, it was taken out of the way through the suffering of Christ on the cross. We also see that there was a, uh, as we've been noting in the first 11 verses, verses 11 to 15, there was a problem between the Jewish and Gentile races. Uh, for instance, remember the book of Acts in Acts chapter 10. Peter was given a vision, a vision three times and there were clean and unclean animals on this white sheet. He said, get up, Peter, and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, I never eat, have eaten anything unclean in my life. Now, those are the dietary regulations of the law he's talking about. And Jesus abrogated those. He put those away in Mark 7. And basically, the, the dietary regulations were to prevent the Jews when they went into the land of Canaan under Joshua. And they didn't want, uh, God didn't want them to dine with Gentiles uh, who were in there and worshiped their gods through various uh, meals. And some of the animals that 
God prohibited the Jews from eating were part of the worship of these pagan gods, which were the brainchild of Satan and his cosmic system. So God was trying to protect them. So therefore, they never really had any fellowship with Gentiles because of that. So now God's telling Peter in Acts chapter 10, it's okay, because he wanted him to go into the house of Cornelius, give him the gospel so that they could receive the Spirit and the forgiveness of sins, like the Jewish believers on, on the day of Pentecost in June of 33 AD. Okay, so, there, so therefore, you, uh, the Gentiles, you and I, we are now united to uh, the Jewish remnant in the church, you know, guys like Peter, James, and John, those guys, Paul. And uh, that's fascinating, okay? This is great. And because uh, we're going to be together, the new humanity. And uh, so this is what Paul's talking about in this passage. Now, the articular construction of this abstract now, which is ekthra, we were talking about, hostility. It's what has an articular construction. It's what we call an abstract noun. And so what that means, the article is distinguishing this hostility that existed between the Gentiles and Jews and God from the hostility that exists between the Jewish and Gentile races with each other. Now, the word apoktena, apokteno, right here is the Greek word. And this is translated by myself. Consequently, he put to death. Uh, the net Bible, uh, they translate it, has been killed, this verb, okay? So this word, apokteno, it uh, means, I translate it as consequently, he put to death. It's actually speaking of Jesus Christ killing the hostility between these communities by the, caused by the Mosaic law. In what sense? Well, in the sense of causing this hostility to cease between the two with his suffering undeservedly, the wrath of God, on the cross as a substitute for both groups. As was the case in Ephesians 2.15, the referent of the date of third person masculine singular form of the intensive personal pronoun autos here in Ephesians 2.16 is again the Lord Jesus Christ emphasizing identity and it is the demonstrative force intensified. That's why he's using this word of our Lord. And so this word contains the figure of metonymy and this is a very important interpretive issue that I've been discussing and we're going to talk about it for the rest of the class pretty much. This figure of metonymy is used with this prepositional phrase. And here it is in the Greek text of Ephesians 2.16. Here it is, ento, enauto. So it has the figure of metonymy where it's, figure of metonymy is used in all languages, including our own, English. So the figure of metonymy contains, in this, is, is found in this verse, which means this, that Jesus Christ, he's the referent of this word himself. You know, the, the net Bible uh, he has been killed in hostility. I don't. I don't think they even translate it. Let me give you the. Um, let me give you another a translation. Let me give you the ESV. Hold on one sec. Let me just pop up some of these other translations for you, because they're more literal than uh, than than that Bible is on that passage. So, yeah, they don't. They they don't even do that either. <laughs> All right. So they don't do that uh, as well. So, anyways. In the, in the Greek text, here's this enauto, right? So here we have this particular word contains the figure of metonymy, which means that Jesus Christ, who's the referent of this word, that's who they're talking about, uh, is put for faith in him at justification, as well as union identification with him through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. Let me give you my translation of verse 16 again. In other words, in order that he would reconcile both groups into one body to God through his cross, consequently he put to death the hostility by means of faith in himself and justification and union identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit. I translate it that way because this verse, is this particular prepositional phrase is containing that figure of metonymy. In other words, as I've been pointing out as we've been studying the first two chapters of Ephesians, Paul uses shorthand. A lot of expositors know this, okay? 
they might not see the justification by faith and union identification with him all at the same time. But a lot of them, like they'll mention this union identification with Christ. Like for, inst- for instance, let me get, uh, I believe the, uh, let's see, let me the New Living Translation. You know, they a lot of times they have, they use the word phrase in union with Christ. I don't know if it's this one or the other one here, but uh, they make they'll, they'll make ex- they'll they'll do it as well. I don't see it here on this one. It could be the Good News Bible too. Anyway, it's Good News Bible and the net uh, the New English uh, New Literal tra- uh, Living Translation does that, and basically it's shorthand. So Paul, you know, we talk, we use shorthand all the time. Okay, you know, uh, so we, we without even thinking about it. Okay. And people use it in writing as well. You know, in a certain phrase, what's involved and all. They might mention one person, but you know, you know, Jesus Christ. Okay, Jesus Christ. You know, faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, He saved me through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, and Paul uses it with this prepositional phrase. He uses this figure of autonomy where he leaves out the 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 details, but we know what the details are from his teaching. So again, so. As you look at my translation, again, by means of faith in himself and justification and union identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit, I'm spelling it out, what is uh, implied from this particular prepositional phrase. It's implied from Paul's teaching in this epistle and throughout his writings, okay? So how did you become part of the new humanity? And I did. Through faith in Jesus Christ. And not simultaneously, the baptism of the Spirit took place at your justification. That's why we're part of the new humanity. That's why the hostility we've appropriated with Christ did at the cross through our faith in Him at justification and our union identification with Him. That's how we receive the reconciliation with God and with the Jewish believers. And this is how we get every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus because of our faith in Jesus at justification. Huge doctrine in the Christian faith which is being ignored by many places, including the seminaries, I'm finding out. And that's huge. It's a foundational doctrine of the Christian faith. Read that. Then you won't get involved in lordship salvation and all these other baloney things out there. And justification is not progressive. It's not in stages like sanctification. It's a one-shot decision that took place when you, I, as unregenerate sinners, first trusted in Jesus as our Savior. And based upon the merits of the object of our faith, we are now accepted by God into his family permanently. And you can never lose your salvation because you weren't saved on your own merits anyways. That's why people like David and Moses who commit murder as believers are in heaven today because of they weren't saved on their own merits. Did God discipline for their murders? Yes. Moses was 40 years in the desert. David had the sword never was ever escaped from his house. Okay, so yeah, God will discipline you if you want to do that. Okay, and if you're a believer, you could be disciplined in the sense that you have to face the electric chair. Of course, in our country, we don't believe in the death penalty anymore, contrary to what the Word of God teaches. So, also, as was the case in Ephesians 2.15, this word autos, here in verse 16, is the object of the preposition n, which functions again here as a marker of means. And that would indicate that the means by which Jesus Christ put to death the hostility that existed between the Jewish and Gentile Christians in relation to God. So therefore, this prepositional phrase, this little prepositional phrase, indicates that Jesus Christ put to death the hostility that existed between these two communities in relation to God, which was caused by the law. He did it by means of their faith in Him at justification, as well as their union identification with Him through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. In other words, people, these two groups appropriated the elimination of this hostility between themselves and God, which was caused by the Mosaic Law, 
by means of their faith in him at justification, as well as their union identification with him through the baptism of the Spirit, which took place at your justification. So we see appropriated, big word, learn it. It's a big word. That means you take possession of some unmerited blessings that God has given you at your justification. Okay? So God treats us according to his grace policy. That means we don't earn it or deserve any of the blessings that we have. Uh, we uh, they're given to us because of the merits of the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, Christ, and the merits of the object of the, the our union identification with Him. You, you and I don't earn to deserve anything. He we got it because of who He is and what He did for us. So those blessings uh, flow to us, and we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because of our union identification with Christ. And you are a ruler, and you're going to reign over this earth for a thousand years when we dispossess Satan and the fallen angels at the second advent. So, we see, again, this prepositional phrase, and auto, indicates that Jesus Christ put to death the hostility that existed between these, the Jewish and Gentile Christian communities in relation to God, which was caused, again, by the Mosaic Law. This was, a, uh, this was hostility, was put to death by means of the believer's faith in Jesus Christ at justification, and simultaneously, at that moment, they were placed in union with Christ through the baptism of the Spirit. In other words, these two groups, Jewish and Gentile Christians, appropriated, took possession of the, the blessing of the elimination of this hostility between themselves and God, which was caused again by the law, and they did so by means of their faith in Him at justification, as well as their union identification with Him through the baptism of the Spirit. And I'm, my, my reasoning for this, okay, I'm going to explain to you why that is. So a lot of guys... Um, this is not the Catholic Church and I'm not the Pope. When I say something, I have to back it up with Scripture. I just can't give you my opinion. And as my father says, we can't talk, don't pull it out of your hat, okay? I'm giving you explanation. I'm going to explain my teaching and why this, my interpretation, and this is the correct one. So I'm giving you my reasons. And if you, you're, you're, a, you're a believer, royal priest, and you got the Spirit, and if you disagree with me, you have every right to disagree with me. A lot of guys don't like that because they're on a power trip or they're insecure or whatever's going on. I never, I never expect anybody to just take what I say, carte blanche, just because I said it. And just because I'm on YouTube doesn't mean I'm an authority. <laughs> Any Tom, Dick, and Harry, Harry can get on the internet and get on YouTube. It's what, what my authority comes from. It's got to be the Word of God. Otherwise, I'm just blowing smoke and I'm full of hot air because I have to go by what the Scripture teaches, not what my opinion is. So I'm going to give you my reasons. And then, listen, we need to know what the original audience understood Paul to say. Then we can start talking about application. People want to go to the application and, miss, and, miss, and hop over the tough work. No, you got to roll up your sleeves, love God with all your heart, soul, mind. I'm pointing to my head. That's where all those heart, soul, mind is in the Bible. And, 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 and love them with all your strength. And when lazy Christians don't want to learn this stuff, just give me the summary version. I don't have any time for those people. I rebuke those people. And gentleness, of course. And, uh, and so I'll rebuke, rebuke him more firmly from the pulpit. That's a disgrace. You mean you can put all the time and watch Netflix and all this other stuff that's all entertainment and you can know everything about your favorite sports team and yet you don't want to put the time in to learn everything you can about your God who saved you? Come on. Start making excuses. So this interpretation of mine is indicated by the fact that these two groups appropriated this reconciliation with God by means of their faith in Him at justification as well as their union identification with Him through the baptism of the Spirit. This interpretation of this prepositional phrase 
and auto is supported by the immediate context because this same prepositional phrase appears in verse 15 with the exact same referent and meaning. Also, this prepositional phrase, which modifies the result participle clause, which as I pointed out to you is apoctanos, tain ekthron, which I translate consequently, he put to death this hostility. I told you this result clause is uh, epexegetical because it's explaining the previous assertions which are found in the contents of verses 14 and 15. And specifically, as I said earlier in the class, it explains the Hena purpose clause in verse 15. Now in verse 15, we saw in this verse, and auto, which appears in verse 16, remember, in verse 15, it presents also the means by which Jesus Christ caused both Jewish and Gentile Christians to be created into one new humanity. However, in verse 16, he uses this prepositional phrase to express the means by which the Lord Jesus Christ put to death the hostility between these two groups in relation to God. And in both instances, it was by means of their faith in Jesus at justification, resulting in the Father declaring them justified, as well as their union identification with Him through the baptism of the Spirit at their justification, that they were created into one new humanity, and that the hostility between them and God was eliminated. Furthermore, this interpretation is supported by the fact that this prepositional phrase, and auto, has appeared four times already in the Ephesian epistle. And in each instance, the Lord Jesus Christ is the referent. Three times, the referent is the church age believers faith in him at justification and union identification with him, which took place at justification. One time, the referent is Jesus Christ's sovereign authority during the millennium. That's in Ephesians 1.10. Lastly, the referent of the masculine singular form of the intensive personal pronoun, autos, in verses 18, Ephesians 2, 18 and 20, is Jesus Christ. Now, most expositors, most interpreters, they believe the referent of this word autos is the noun staros, cross, because they agree in gender, number, and are in close proximity to each other. So, if you look at this word, you see the word uh, uh, cross right here, in verse 16, and to reconcile them both into one body through the cross, well, they think that the witch there is referring to the cross. Okay? That's what they think. That's what I'm pointing out to you. Now, however, very important. Although the finished work of Christ, which is signified by this word cross, staros, accomplished this reconciliation between Jewish and Gentile Christians, no doubt, and both of these groups in relation to God were reconciled, this double reconciliation can only be appropriated, experienced in other words, by both groups, by means of their faith in Jesus Christ, the justification. In other words, people, they could never experience this double reconciliation until the Father declared them justified through faith in His one only Son, Jesus Christ, and simultaneously, they are placed in union with Him, identified with Him in His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session of the right hand of the Father. That means the Father looks at you and I as crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with Christ, not according to our sins and transgressions. So therefore, I believe that this prepositional phrase that we see in verse 16, which is translated as by which and the net Bible, I believe it expresses the means by which Jesus Christ put to death the hostility that existed between both Jewish and Gentile Christians in relation to God. Both groups appropriated this double reconciliation, reconciliation with God and with each other. They appropriated it. They experienced it by means of their faith in Jesus at justification, which resulted in them being placed in union with Christ, united to Him permanently, and identified with Him through the baptism of the Spirit. So, 
the application. We get so you got you. This is what the text says. Okay. So what does it mean to us? First of all, give thanks to God. That's a part of your spiritual life, people. It's one of your responsibilities to give thanks to God in all things. Okay, it's throughout the scriptures we're taught, give thanks in all circumstances. So no matter how bad it gets in your life, no matter how many trials and tribulations that you go through, and you will go through them as a believer, and especially as a believer who is positive to the word of God and is trying to do God's will, all right? You will go through trials and tribulations because it's part of your spiritual growth. It's called undeserved suffering for blessing. It's stuff that you didn't bring on yourself. And of course, we do stuff that brings suffering on ourselves. But we see here that no matter how bad it gets, you're never going to be separate. You always have your relationship with God. You are going to, you always, you have this future reigning with Christ over this earth for a thousand years and on into eternity with the new heavens and new earth. It's not going to change. Your circumstances will pass. All things, it came to pass. Okay. I, I, there was a great story. I think Jay Vernon McGee, who, uh, was a, a big part of my uh, early walk with God and getting into the Word of God. He told this story of this young black child, African-American child, and uh, they went around the church in this black church and, and they go, and they were asking, what's your favorite Bible verse? And they get to this little boy and he goes, uh, it came to pass. <laughs> it's in the scripture, right? The King, I think he was reading, talking about the King James. What it means is that, oh, this too shall pass. So no matter how bad it gets, you know that you got this in your back pocket. This is who you are. So, no matter, you might be low in the totem pile in life. You might not make a lot of money. You might live in a shack or you might be a homeless person. But you are in union with Christ if you're a believer. And you're going to reign with Christ. And you're going to get a resurrection body at the rapture of the church, which is imminent. Okay? And so don't, the people, their opinion of you doesn't really matter. What matters is God's view of you. This is what he thinks of you and me. Okay? Here's another one. Another application. So, in America... You hear all kinds of problems about race, racial disharmony and racial disunity, blacks against white and all that stuff, okay? And it's racial problems are all around the world, have always have been, because we live in the devil's world and we're all sinners, okay? It's not going away anytime soon. Not condoning it, just giving you the facts. Now, listen to me. The gospel destroys that racial disharmony. It solves the problem. Here's how. So, I have, a, I have some uh, African-American friends, they're believers. And I said, you know, I'll tell them about this pastor, he says, you know, that there should never be any problems with race in this country. In fact, they wouldn't, the, the, we would have never had slavery if the pastors in this country taught Ephesians 2, 11 to uh, 22 and Galatians 3, 26 to 28. So it says, there's neither slave nor free man, Jew or Gentile, all, male or female, all are one in Christ. Okay, listen to me. So I'm a Gentile, and my African-American friends are Gentiles too. Okay? So we are, the cross has united us. We, we're placed in union with Christ, so he is on equal footing with me. Okay? And I with him. And if you're a woman, you are considered a second-class citizen in many parts of the world. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you're on the same footing as a man. You have equal privilege and equal opportunity to... Uh, execute the Father's plan. And that's something slaves, this is why, this is what slavery was a major foundation of Roman society in Paul's day. Over Estimates of over 60 million slaves. Do you know within three centuries it was gone? 
without a shot being fired like we had to get a, we had a civil war all right that never needed to happen if the pastors in america during this during the 1800s taught the, this because our black brothers whether they're slave okay slavery the slave masters who were in the same church with the slaves in paul's day were releasing their slaves and doing it willingly because that was now their brother in Christ. The gospel had changed their relationship. And that should change the relationship between black and white in this country or wherever you are in the world and you have problems uh, with race, another race. It's that this is the gospel. It changes everything. I believe in the power of the gospel. I believe that's the problem that can be resolved, that race problem in our country and around the world is solved with the gospel. Your people have a problem with uh, with uh, self-esteem and issues, and they got they got they have bad past. Oh, here's a good one. Another application: You are a believer in Jesus Christ. You're in union with Him, right? Okay. So you were abused as a child. You have or you have a lot of you did a lot of bad things in your life. Okay. You ran around with a rough crowd. Did a lot of drugs. Okay. So what? Join everybody's got skeletons in the closet. We're all sinners. Some of us are a little bit more sneakier with this sinning than others, okay? But everybody, none of this righteous, no, not one, okay? That's all gone. You know, that's all gone. I've had a, I had a, I had a friend and she was letting her, she never had a father. Her father, she was, she was an illegitimate child. Her mother wasn't too smart. She was raised by her aunt and the rest of the family. And she consistently was all it always it was always the, the the fact that she didn't have a father it was the reason why she was the decision she made what she was making that's baloney she's letting her past take over for her that's been wiped off that's clean the slate is clean so the gospel you know so so you hear in psychology which is basically humanism secular humanism it's not they, they don't even agree and people don't realize they don't even agree on stuff to, to how to treat people just throw that away. You know, they try to tell you it's your past. Your, mo your mother beat you up or your father. Maybe they did. I know people who were beaten up by their parents, okay? Forget about it. You, I mean, deal with it, with the gospel. That's all gone, okay? You have a heavenly father now and to you don't have to worry about that earthly father who was a jerk, okay? You've moved on. And don't let your past destroy your future and your present. You got a great life in Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Let's close with this and we'll get out of here. And let's go out with a flourish, right? Let's look at Romans. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And look what it says in verse 28, the famous passage. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's us. And those he predestined, us, he also called. That's us. And those he called, that's us. He also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. All us, he's talking about. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Yeah, people, be, people can be against us, but they can never succeed, including the devil. Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, here's our fortiori, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? In other words, if God can do uh, 100 push-ups, I think God can do 10. Okay. In other words, if God can do the more difficult thing, save us from his wrath through faith in his son when we were his enemies. 
now that we're in his family through faith in Jesus Christ, is he going to freely give us all things? Yes, he's already freely given us all things. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. The devil accuses us day and night. That's why we need an advocate with the Father. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, for, uh, verse 1, excuse me. Why? Because he intercedes for us. Satan attacks us. Yeah, Bill did this, Bill did this. Yeah, yeah, he did. But he's, uh, I died for that sin. He justified me. And you too. Who is the one who will condemn? Christ is the one who died. And more than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is also interceding for us. Who will separate us from the, the love of Christ? You don't have somebody who loves you? You've been abandoned? You've been divorced? You, 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 the girl you dated for 10 years, she, she broke up with you? She ran off with another woman? <laughs> your husband ran off with another guy? Uh, your kids don't see you? They don't love you anymore? They don't, they don't call you? Guess what? You, you don't feel loved? You're not married like me? Well, guess what? Nothing will separate us from the love of, of Christ. Nobody can love you like Jesus did. He died on the cross when you were his enemy. Nobody does that. Your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, your, nobody did that for you. Your parents? No, God did that. Jesus, God, the Son of God. Look what he says. Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or dangerous sword separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? As it is written, for your sake, we encountered death all day long. We were considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we have complete victory through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor things are, that are present, nor things to come. You're all worried about the election in 2024. It's a little bit. It's going to be dicey. I don't know what's going to happen. It might be a fundamental change in this country from this election on. I don't know. Hopefully we have it. I don't know what's going to happen. There's talk of coups and all kinds of stuff going on. The Democrats and the Republicans and the CIA and black flag operations, all kinds of stuff swirling around in that country. And, and guess what? They're going to do what they're going to do. I can't control that. And whatever comes, comes my way. Do what Paul did in the first century. Hey, I'm in union with Christ. All these people, I'm, I'm going to replace all these people. I'm going to reign with Christ for a thousand years. So these guys can do what they want to do. At the end of the day, they're going to lose if they go against God. So he says, for I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor heavy, heavenly rulers, nor things that are present, nor things that come, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. And look at this prepositional phrase, in Christ Jesus our Lord, which means the figure of autonomy. Because of our faith in Jesus at justification and our unidentification with him through the baptism of the Spirit at justification, that's the reason nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. Now, when you lay your head on the pillow tonight, Think about these things. Talk, think about them today. Take a walk. Bring an umbrella out here if you're in Alabama. But think about these things. Thank God for them. Apply them in your life. Think of how it works out in your life and where you are at. Okay? And I pray that God will speak to all of us as individuals and all of us as a corporate unit in the Christian community. And we should be a people that's confident, rejoicing, and has a confident expectation of blessing, resurrection body, rewards for faithful service, reigning with Christ, and so no matter what happens in this life, no matter what trials or tribulations, nothing can, nobody, not even the devil can take away our, our union and marriage to Jesus Christ, which is for, nothing can separate, what God has brought together, let no man can separate, remember? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Thank you for those who are listening live 
people watching and those at a later date. I just pray that each person would be spoken to by the Spirit and all of us as a corporate unit. And we just thank you and praise you for the wonderful things that you blessed us with at the moment of our justification and through the baptism of the Spirit and making us a part of the new humanity, members of the body of Christ, the future bride of Christ that will reign with your Son for a thousand years and on into the new heavens and the new earth, Father. We thank you and praise you for this wonderful blessings that you've given to us and communicated to us through the Spirit. In our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name we pray, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen.